You're listening to the Arsenal Church Podcast. To learn more about the Arsenal, go to thearsenal.church. And if you'd like to receive more content throughout your week, feel free to download the Arsenal Church app. We're continuing the series called ID. Last week, I talked about the old system of sacrifices at the altar uh, for forgiveness of sins and how that system never worked to actually achieve forgiveness. Scripture says it never worked. It was this life It was the life or death of Jesus that actually gave us forgiveness once and for all. Not after we asked for forgiveness or didn't everything right after that, but once and for all, fully forgiven because of what Christ has done. And so we talked about the altar and how this system was something that humanity was used to. And so when God came in to meet humanity, he met them there and worked with them in that system. Um... But that was never actually what he wanted. In fact, Scripture says that this was never your plan. This doesn't bring you joy. Um, So we talked about that last week, that forgiveness is found through the death, the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So the question I have then is once we're forgiven, then what? What is after that? What does that look like in the new covenant? What do we do? Once we believe this, we fully embrace embrace this idea that I'm forgiven forever, then, then what? Who are we now? What, what do we do from this space? Obviously, we're fully forgiven once and for all, past, present, future. All sins have been forgiven. J- let me just tell you this. I heard this one time and it blew my mind. I was a slow learner. But every sin that you've ever committed was after the cross. Because none of you lived before Jesus died. So every sin that was forgiven at the cross was a future sin that you would commit at some point that has now been forgiven. So even if you're like, I don't know, like the sins after I gave my life to Christ, those are kind of in question. No, they're not because every sin that you've ever committed was after the cross, after the resurrection. So obviously after we embrace the idea that we've been fully forgiven, then we just go wild, right? We just, we can just sin all we want. We just do whatever we want. Like, we're forgiven. Some of you are looking at me like, I can't tell if he's joking or not. Um, like, I mean, it's, that's the point, right? We take it full advantage of this. Like, there's grace. And, like, what's the use of grace if we don't use it, you know? Um, no, the, the funny thing is, this is typically, some of you guys are like, I never thought about that. Like, huh. What's funny is, this is the typical response that we get from people who think we teach that when we find out that there's a grace, they find out we teach a grace message, this is what they think, that you're just like, oh yeah, Chad just tells them they do whatever they want. Like he never talks about sin, doesn't do it. Like he, you just teach grace and grace and that you can do whatever you want. And obviously that's what I do. That's why you're all here. That's why this place is packed, you know, like, um, that's always like, like I let you in on a little pastor thing. Like people are like, "Oh, you just you just want to tell people what they want to hear." Well, if that was the case, I couldn't keep I couldn't keep enough seats in here, right? Like people will be like, "Well, I just want to go there because he's telling me what I want to hear." That that's not how this typically works because it's hard when you've been brought up and understood and, and taught this message of religion. When a grace message comes, it's very like offensive. It's hard to like wait. That's not what I was taught. That's not, that's not how I, I learned this. And, and so it can be very, like, it, it hits some neural pathways that you're like, I've had these forever. What do I do with this? But people will accuse us 
of teaching a grace message that we just don't care what you do. That now we can just do whatever we want because there's grace for that. And what's crazy, this might kind of mess with you a little bit, I do think the statement is kind of true at baseline, that there's grace for that, whatever you do. And I don't think that because I just came up with it. I know it because scripture tells us this. In Romans 5, verse 20, it says, the law was brought in so that trespass might increase. Trespass is sin. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Eugene Peterson's Message Bible, he says this version of these, these texts like this. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death. And that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life. A life that goes on and on and on, world without end. So when sin comes into the presence of grace, it can't win. So when we sin and we sin, and we, if we just, where the law was, it says sin increased, but it, grace increases all the more. There's, there's a scripture that says that where sin increased, grace abounds. In fact, there's been times where we've, uh, we've been called um, hyper grace preachers. And I think Rob has talked about this before. Um, where, this word, if you break this down into the Greek, is hyper grace. Like that's what it means. It, it is over the top. Sin can never, never, ever beat grace. So grace always wins. So we just go on sinning because who cares? There's grace. That's what you're thinking, right? Probably. That's what Paul thought the people reading Romans 5, 20 and 21 believed because he wrote Romans 6. And it continues in this letter, which is actually just a continuation, continuation of the letter. But anyway, he says this. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? This is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. Once we lived in a land ruled by law and sin, we were in this space where law was the jail, Scripture says. We were under law. There were rules. You must do this. You must do this. If you do this, you are, you are, are sinning, so you must bring an animal to the altar to sacrifice it in order to cover your sins. Scripture says the animal never actually worked to get rid of sins, so we just do this over and over and over again. But we are trapped in this house, in this country that is ruled by law. And it's also ruled by sin because scripture says where the law is, sin abounds, sin increases. The law was actually given to show that we can't meet it. But because of Jesus, we have been brought out of this jail of law, out of this old home of sin, and we've brought in, been brought into a whole new country, a whole new land, a place of freedom. 
where now freedom abounds. We are no longer trapped under law, but we've been set free because of grace. So there's this, this contradictory living that Paul says, well, no, you're not going to just go on sinning because you don't even live in that. That's like, that's like I played football and I'm playing by the rules of football and now I play baseball and I'm still using the rules of football. The rules don't even apply to me. I'm in a whole different game. This is a whole different space. Those rules don't apply. I'll, I'll unpack that a little bit. Some of you are like, whoa, what? Uh, once we lived in a land ruled by law and sin, we have left that country and we've entered into a new land. In biblical teaching, we typically call the first land the place of the old covenant. It's, it's where the old covenant happened. It's where Jesus made a covenant with Abraham and we entered into this covenant. A covenant is an agreement. It's an agreement God made with Abraham. We talked about it a little bit last week. This is where the Mosaic law was introduced. The laws of Moses, the, the three tablets, he dropped one though. And so he only brought the 10 down. You guys seen that? <laughs> what was that in? Uh, Monty Python. It's like Moses coming down the mountain with the three tablets and he drops one. And he's like, well, I guess it's the 10 tablets, not the, or the 10 commandments, not the 15. Um, but the Mosaic law was introduced under the old covenant. I mentioned it last week. This is something, the law is something that humanity asked God for. If you go back into the Old Testament, you look at the Israelites speaking to God. They say, what are the rules? What can we do? What can't we do? Tell us, and we'll abide by that. And God says, okay, here are the rules. I will oblige you. Because at that time, when God entered into humanity and, and met humanity, we talked about last week, gods were always distant. They were thought of as up there, far away. But this, this God... Yahweh stepped into humanity and met Abraham and spoke to Abraham, came face to face. He was there. It's just new. It's a new system. So God comes in and he says, I'm here. And, they, and the, the, the Israelites say, well, what do we do? What are the rules? And God says, okay, this is how you, you understand a relationship with God. So I will give it to you. But this isn't my plan. This is to help you. To show you that, that you cannot keep the rules. This will never lead you to righteousness or to holiness. It won't. It can't. Scripture says that it never, ever could. But it was an agreement between God and Israel. Interesting, the old covenant, if you look at this, was never, we were never actually under it. Unless you are Jewish and sitting in this room, you were never under the old covenant. It was a deal made with God and the people of Israel. You and I are outsiders. We are Gentiles. We are not Jews. So the law actually never applied to you and I. That's what scripture says, that we were never under the law. So it's this, this agreement God made with Israel. And when it, Israel asked for it, what do we do? God said, here you go. And we get the old covenant. It's not what he wanted. It's not what God said was the ultimate plan. But he met humanity where they were. In fact, the Old Covenant in Scripture, we are told that it's an annual reminder of sin. We talked about last week, the sacrifices that needed to happen. There's actually, there was one time a year where you would come to bring your sacrifice to the altar, give it to the priest. The priest would then spill blood in order to cover your sins. And it was a once a year thing. So you had one time to go get forgiveness 
And then, whoa, here we go. Let's hope things go good this year and I can get back here next year to do my next one. But scripture says that never actually worked. It never actually brought forgiveness anyway. So the old covenant was just an annual reminder of sin because scripture says law causes sin. And the consciousness of sin to increase. It, it, it not only c- continues or, or increases sin, but it, it, we're focused on it. Now I'm focused on what are my actions? Am I doing what's right? So the focus becomes sin consciousness is what we call it. It is focused. Like there's a, I'm trying to figure out how to explain this. Uh, when I, this sound, all right, this, this sounds kind of braggy, but um, so I used to race motorcycles, right? And uh, so I'm on the track. When you're on the track and you're racing and you're going through a corner, if somebody crashes in front of you, there's an idea of target fixation. And so what would happen is when somebody crashes, instead of focusing on a corner where you're supposed to be going safely, you watch the crash happen. And then what do you think happens? You crash too because you target fixate. So if sin is happening is the target. If the law increases sin and I begin to target fixate on sin, what do you think is going to happen? Scripture says I'm going to sin because that's what we do. Hey, you can't do that. Child, you cannot touch that. Oh, that? I can't. What if I do that? Right? Like, we are just big children. God says if I tell you you can't, you're going to. So there's this focus on the law, on Old Covenant, on the idea that you can't, there are rules that you must keep. And under the Old Covenant, the measuring stick to please God is to keep 100% of the laws. It was a pass or fail system. It was perfect or you failed. And under the law, if you go look at history, the law that, that was given, there are 613 laws to keep. 613 of them. And if you, we talked about last week, if you go read Leviticus, there's some laws in there. You read through the Old Testament, 613 laws. And it wasn't like, man, I kept 610. The last three I didn't, I, you know, but 610 out of 613, that's, you know, this isn't college where C's get degrees. This is like, <laughs> this is 100% of the law. You must keep it. Perfection was the, the, the line. But no one can measure up to perfection. And that was the problem under the old covenant under law. The old covenant resulted in a string of failures. We learned last week that the altar and sacrifices didn't work to forgive. So it's just continued failure, failure, failure. Because we can't. You cannot be perfect. No matter how hard you try, you will never be perfect. Jesus says to be perfect as my Father is in heaven. That should tell all of us we can't do that. But for some reason, we have an idea that we can. And so we preach in a lot of churches that you must still keep these commands. We've told it before. I think Paul, uh, I always call Rob Paul. I think Rob has told you before. Paul says in Scripture that the Ten Commandments are the religion the ministry of condemnation and death. The ministry of condemnation and death. This is what he calls the Ten Commandments. Why? 
Because Paul says, under the law, you can't do this. You will never live up to it. You can't be perfect. And I know that sounds terrible right now, but there's good news to it. There's where God says, oh, but hold on, that is only a shadow, a picture of the real thing. You will experience the new plan, the plan that I've always had from the beginning. The old covenant, the law, was not my plan. So you will experience the new. In Romans verse three, or Romans chapter 3, verse 9, we begin to start unpacking some of this. Paul says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Let me stop just for a second, just to give you some context. In Romans 3, in this book, this letter that, that Paul is writing to the Roman church, Romans 3 is actually a portion of this letter that is written from Paul, a Jew, to the Jews directly. There are other parts of Romans where he's talking about the Gentiles. Those are outside of the Jewish law. In this portion, he's talking directly to Jews, and he says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Paul being a Jew, do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. He said that in, in Romans 2. All of us. We all fail under this old system. He says, as it is written, and he quotes a psalm, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. David sounds great in psalms right now. He says, their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is Paul quoting David. They both had Facebook, I think. You see the... Verse 19, now, now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, again, I told you, to the Jews... So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. We become fixated. He's addressing directly to his people. He continues in verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. If you go back into the Old Testament, there are prophecies. There is law that actually talks about a new way. There's, a, there's times where it talks about you will be given a new heart. You will be given a new mind. You will be given new life. These are prophecies of the new. And Paul says, as it was prophesied, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is an interesting portion of scripture. How many people in here have heard this verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? We've all heard this, right? Sadly, oftentimes, we stop. But in that sentence, there is a comma. 
not a period. But we like to stop and say, for all have sinned to fall short of the glory of God. You have to talk like that when you're preaching it. <laughs> and then period. But if you understand grammar, there's a comma. And in the beginning, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, comma, and all, same word, are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. We forget this portion. We leave it out. But the new covenant says, because of Jesus, we have all received justification freely by his grace, and we've been redeemed. Now there's a new way, a better way, the way that God always intended. The new agreement between God and man replaces the old covenant. It fulfills it. It is not. We've moved into a new land. We were in the old, in the law, in the jail of law and sin. We have, been, we have packed up our bags and we have moved into a free country called grace. We have moved into this new system. The difference is the old and the new, it, it's night and day. They are not the same thing. They are not similar. They don't, they don't even work together. In fact, Scripture says if you begin to teach law and mix it in with grace, then grace no longer is grace because you've, you've gotten rid of it. Because if I put anything on you that says you must do this in order to receive the love, the righteousness, the, the acceptance, the forgiveness of God, if, if I say you must do this, then it's up to you. And we've removed Jesus out of the equation. Because you cannot replace Jesus. But under the law, we thought we could live and do it and be perfect. But we no longer live there. It says that we have moved to the new system, to the new covenant. Under the law, the old covenant, it was law. It was sin management. It was trying to manage everything that I had. Like, we, we, we see this all the time. Like, you must... You, you got to stop doing this. And you got to stop doing that. Oh, you, you messed up. You got to come down here and ask for forgiveness. Make sure you, you beg. Because God needs you to beg for the forgiveness that he's already given you. Do, do you see the problem? I place so much guilt and shame on you in sin management that you live under guilt. But Jesus... Brought the new system, the new way of grace and complete forgiveness. The old way was guilt-driven religion. The new way is Christ-driven relationship. And it's, it's understanding who we are in Christ in this new covenant. What do we get to walk in? The two worked together. I'm not saying the Old Testament is bad. The Old Covenant is, is bad that we just throw it out. No, we, we have to see that. To see that it didn't work. We can't do this on our own. The idea was, here you go, here humanity, you, will, you can't do this. I will give it to you to show you you can't, but I promise you I have a better way. I have a better way. Jesus is coming, I have a better way. Under the new system, under the new covenant, all have been set free from the idea that we must prove ourselves to God through our own actions. We have been released into a new space of freedom. In Galatians 5.1, Paul says, Let me be clear. The anointed one has set us free, not partially, 
but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. And in this passage, he's not talking about, oh, you must refuse to go back to the sins that you were committing and all this stuff. That's not what he's talking about. Paul is saying, you must refuse, you've moved here, you must refuse to go back into the bondage of law. You must refuse to go back into a system that says, you must do this in order to prove yourself to God. Because the minute you step back into that system, you lose grace. It, grace is there, but you're not experiencing the freedom of grace because you've put it back on yourself. The mirror translation, the same passage, or the same verse, it says this, Christ defines your faith. I love that because we don't define our faith, Christ does. He's a focus of our faith. It says, he is your freedom from anything from which the law could never free you. Find your firm footing in this freedom. Do not let religion trip you up again and harness you to a system of rules and obligations. Jesus said it this way. It says, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, when you continue to embrace all that I teach, you prove that you are my true followers. For if you embrace all the truth, it will release true freedom into your lives. Jesus said, if you believe this in the new covenant and what I have done and the grace that I am offering you, the, the forgiveness of sin completely, not partially, but fully complete or fully forgiven. If you believe this, then you will be free. But if you don't, you enter back into the prison of law and a system of religion where you can never prove yourself. So it's a constant treadmill of trying to do everything I can to win the love of God, to win the approval of God. I got to do everything I can to prove that I'm good enough. And when you're in that system, you're not experiencing freedom. But the new covenant, Jesus says, no, no, no. Let me invite you into the freedom that you have in me. Freedom is the litmus test for real truth. If you're believing the truth that Jesus has for you, if the truth you believe or the truth people are telling you does not produce freedom, it's not the truth Jesus was talking about. If it's a truth that invites you back into the old country of religion and law-based living, then it's not what Jesus came for. I told you earlier, you packed up your bags. You don't even have an address in that space anymore. You have moved. So if you try to go back to your old way, there's not a house there for you. It doesn't fit any longer. It's like an old jacket. I, I've done this analogy before where I have my, my old uh, Letterman jacket. It has my football stuff on it from high school. It's like if I go back and put that jacket on and start walking around and saying I'm a wide receiver at MacArthur High School, you're going to be like, you're weird. Like you, you need help. Right? Like that's not me anymore. Even if I keep the old clothing, it still doesn't fit. That one did because back in my day, we wore really large jackets. <laughs> but your clothing doesn't fit. You have a whole new wardrobe, Scripture says. It's not, this isn't you anymore. You don't live here anymore. You don't live under law and obligation to try and prove yourself. You've been set free through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. You've walked into the freedom of a place we call grace. Scripture says you are no longer a citizen of that old country. The old system doesn't make sense to you any longer. In Hebrews 9, he says this, or she, the writer of Hebrews. He said, thank you. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, because I make this joke every once in a while, and I'll just uh, give you a little bit on it. 
Nobody knows who wrote Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, we, we don't know. It's an unknown author. But there is a lot of scholars who believe that maybe a woman wrote it. And this is why we don't know who wrote it. Because they don't want you to know that you're reading a woman's writing. Because, you know, patriarchy. But, so we don't know. But there's a really good chance that a woman actually wrote Hebrews. That's why I, I make that joke every once in a while. Anyway, Hebrews 9, she says, um, Like a will that takes effect when someone dies, the new covenant was put into action at Jesus' death. His death marked the transition from the old plan to the new one, canceling the old obligations and accompanying sins and summoning the heirs to receive the eternal inheritance that was promised them. It canceled the old obligations. It canceled out the sins that were part of that system. Because do you know that sins don't have power if there's no rule that says that they're a sin? So when the law is removed... The sins that are created by that law don't even exist because we don't have that law here. It's not even defined like that. We're not, we're not even in that anymore. So he says the old obligations, the accompanying sins, they, they are gone. And he's summoning the heirs to receive the eternal inheritance that he promised them. He brought together God and his people in this new way. Paul often times uses the word freedom and grace interchangeably. It's this environment that we've been invited into, a place where actions don't define us, but the, the life of Jesus did. Our identity has been defined by the faith of Jesus, not my or your faith, but his faith defines you. It was for freedom that you've been set free. People will come along and try to teach you that you must go back to the old law, the old covenant. Preachers will preach a message of guilt and shame and sin management. That's not where freedom is found. It is, if it was, if, that's, if that system could set us free, then there would be no need for Jesus. We, we would live under that system forever. There'd be no need for a savior. Galatians 4 verse 8 says, Earlier, before you knew God personally, you were enslaved to so-called gods that had nothing of the divine about them. But now that you know the real God, or rather, since God knows you, oh, that'll preach. But now that you know the real God, or rather, since God knows you, how can you possibly subject yourselves again to those paper tigers, not the club, these fake ones. For that is exactly what you do when you're in, in, intim, intimidated into scrupulously observing all the traditions, taboos, superstitions associated with special days and seasons and years. This is Paul. I am afraid that all my hard work among you has gone up in a puff of smoke. If you enter back into the old system, all the work Paul says to the Galatians has gone up in a puff of smoke. You have entered back into a system that you don't belong in anymore. Later in Galatians 5, Paul says, I, Paul, tell you, if you think there is benefit in circumcision and Jewish regulations, then you're acting as though Jesus, the anointed one, is not enough. I say it again emphatically, Paul says, if you let yourselves be circumcised. Now, circumcision under the old law was the way that you proved that you were in. So there were people in the church of Galatia that were Gentiles, they were not Jews, that 
the people in the church, some other people in the community were saying, whoa, to be in God's kingdom, you must be circumcised. You've got to meet the law. And Paul says, if you do that, that's going to hurt. And you are entering under a system that doesn't exist for you. If you let yourselves be circumcised, you're obliged to fulfill every single one of the commandments and regulations of the law. If you do that one, you must keep all 613. You are asking to step into a system where you must be perfect. If you want to be made holy by fulfilling the obligation of the law, you have cut off more than your flesh. He says you've done more than circumcise yourself. You have cut yourself off from the anointed one and have fallen away from the revelation of grace. Again, does grace still exist? Absolutely. But when you say, I can do this on my own, you've fallen away from the revelation of the freedom that grace has offered you. You've said, I, I will go back into the old country and I will do this myself. I will be able to earn God's love through my actions, through everything that I do. Paul says, if you do that, you're cutting off the anointing. Well, you are saying that Jesus wasn't enough, that you think you can do better. Because of Jesus, we have been placed into an environment of grace, a space of freedom. If we go back into the jail of law, we have chosen our own efforts and works over the grace that Jesus offers us. Paul was teaching this message of grace and freedom to the Gentiles, to the people outside, the people that were not Jewish. Paul, Paul stepped into this place and he said, I'm gonna... his ministry was to the outsiders. And in Galatians 5, when he continues, he says, dear friends, why do you think the religious system persecutes me? Paul's writing this from, from prison. It's because I preach the message. Is it because I preach the message of being circumcised and keeping all the laws of Judaism? No, not at all. Is there no longer any offense over the cross? To tell you the truth, I'm so disgusted with all your agitators. I wish they would go even further and cut off their legalistic influence from your lives. I wish the people that are telling you, you must meet all these laws in order to be loved, complete, and forgiven by God. I wish they would just cut off themselves from your life because they are leading you astray. They are taking you from freedom and trying to trap you back under the jail of law. Paul says, beloved ones. God has called us to live a life of freedom in the Holy Spirit. But don't view this wonderful freedom as an opportunity to set up base of operations in the natural realm. Why are we free? He says freedom means that we become so completely free of self-indulgence that we become servants of one another, expressing love in all we do. Why were we set free? So that you can express love to others. So that you are no longer focused on sin, which is self-focused. Am I enough? Am I doing what I need to do? Am I? Am I? Am I? It's, it's self-focused. But the moment I'm set free into a space of grace, I'm invited into freedom of no longer I, but how do I love us? How do I? How do I? I've experienced my freedom. I don't have to prove myself any longer. Because I no longer have that obligation, I can now step into the freedom of loving others. The, Paul says this is what freedom looks like. He says, for love completes the laws of God. All of the law can be summarized in one grand statement. Demonstrate love to your neighbor, even as you care for and love yourself. But if you continue to criticize 
and come against each other over minor issues. You're acting like wild beasts trying to destroy one another. Folks, we're living through a time right now where as a church, a church, capital C, and as Christians, we don't understand fully what Christ has done and what this new covenant means. If you don't believe me, just look around. The job of one who believes in the work and the life of Christ, in the freedom that we've been given and we've been placed in, is to love and to not divide. There's no love in division. There's no love in picking sides. We are called to love and to protect not just ourselves, but others, our neighbors, which, by the way, our neighbors, Jesus defined in the story of the Good Samaritan as the person that is hurting on the side of the road. Even if your bias or preconceived notions is against them, Jesus says that's who you love. In fact, in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus brings the Samaritan into the story as he's talking to the Jewish religious leader that asked him, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, okay, I'll tell you this story. This, this man, this, he's hurt on the side of the road and this religious leader walks past him and then this religious leader walks past him and then the Samaritan, you know, the guys that you hate, that guy, he comes walking down the street. He sees a hurting person. He picks him up. He bandages him. He takes him. He pays his bill. He says, I will come back and pay whatever you need to make sure he is taken care of, that he is healed. And Jesus says, who was the good neighbor? And the religious leader that asked him, like, who, who's my neighbor? Jesus says, well, who was it? And this Jewish religious leader says, I don't want to say this, but it was that other guy. It was the Samaritan. Jesus says, yeah, go and do that. What are we supposed to do? What are we called to when we enter into freedom? Love. Regardless of your bias, your preconceived notions, we are called to love. Only job as beloved ones of God is to love well. No division, no, I, nothing. I'm watching my words real carefully right now. We're to love, period. End of story. Under the new covenant, because of Jesus, there is no longer... Jew or Gentile, male or female, we are all one. We are one. Jesus brought us into one. So what do we do? We love each other well. The new covenant says to love well. If you want to live under the old system of law and prove yourself, then you have cut off the grace that Jesus has offered you. You've walked back into the jail cell of law. You've closed the door and you've said, I'll, I'll, I'll hang out here. Jesus says, no, no, no. I've, I've, I've given you freedom. I've set you free. Why? So that you can be free. Free to what? To love others. Well, why do we say that at the end of every service here? Because I think that's what we're called to do. There is nothing more than that. In fact, Scripture says Love completes the law of God. All the love, all the law can be summarized in one grand statement. Demonstrate love to your neighbor, even as you care for and love yourself. So as you go out this week, remember that it's from our place of freedom in Christ that we can fully, fully live. And we can invite others through our love to experience the freedom as well. 
You're no longer bound by a law or a system of religion, but are set free to experience all that God has for you in the freedom of his love. So what do we do? We are fully forgiven. We've been set free. We go love well because it's who you were made to be. Love you, Arsenal. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. Our hope is that you feel loved and encouraged. If you have questions or need prayer, please email hello at thearsenal.church. And don't forget to download the Arsenal Church app.